Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B Playbook. Kevin, Kevin, today we are discussing email marketing, EDMs. We're talking about the two kinds of email that you guys should be sending out as your business, and we're going to be talking about how to optimize it. So it fits in very nicely in the fourth B of our five Bs framework, which is be better. And Kevin, this podcast, it's all about sharing our five B framework for sustainable growth, the kind of marketing that consistently drives revenue for your business. Kev, tell us more about Be Better, our fourth B. Listeners, Be Better is all about optimizing your B2B marketing workflow to cement yourself as the expert you set out to become. It's all about what steps do you take next to keep improving your understanding of your dream customers, your helpful content, and your amplification of that content. Listeners, before we jump into this episode, just want to excuse any background noise coming from my end. It's a pretty windy day here in Sydney and my window frames are rattling like crazy. That's okay, Kev. Uh, look, if the content is good enough, people aren't going to care. Um, I don't know if you caught it last year. There was a Tim Ferriss episode with Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great. The audio quality was so damn awful. It was horrible. Like Jim Collins, the guy must have recorded thousands of interviews. I don't know why he was so bad, but he clearly had like his hand over the microphone for half the conversation and half the things he said were, mu- were muffled. But Tim Ferriss, with his millions of listeners, decided to still post it, didn't even apologize for it, didn't care. And you know what? I listen to it anyway. So the production doesn't have to be high if the quality of the content is good. Um, and I guess this is my way of saying to you, Kevin, you better be on today. You better be on your game. <laughs> 
Uh, well, uh, hopefully we are uh, starting to get to the same levels or even in the same league, but I'll definitely try and up that game today. All right, Kev. Well, this episode, we're going to dive deep into email marketing. Listeners, we're going to give you best practice for the two types of emails that your business should be sending. And then we're going to show you how to optimize them so they're always improving. Okay, listeners, so we're in the be better stage of our 5Bs framework. So at this stage, you may have set up your email flows. Um, and so then you're going to look to improve the efficiency of them. So you might have set up a monthly newsletter. You might have set up an automated sequence. Kevin and I, we're going to share our thoughts on what we think you should have going uh, before we then show you how to optimize it. So, okay, Kev, the two types of emails we think a business should be sending, what are they? Well, the first one is product education and customer success. And the second is using email as another channel to educate, nurture, and build a community. All right, Kev, the first one, product education and customer success. Now, many of you have probably dabbled in using email or an automated email sequence to educate about your product or help your users get the most out of your product. Probably one example that you can all immediately relate to is uh, an automated sequence that's sent by HubSpot or any kind of CRM that you've already signed up for. They're normally really, really good at this. So HubSpot's emails are designed to educate you on how to get the most out of the HubSpot platform. This kind of email sequence can be essential to help people move from your free tier to your paid tier as they get more out of your platform and they need the paid features. But they're only going to be able to do that if they actually understand how to get the most out of your platform. So that's why they're definitely a, a great point of attack early on for you marketers. Now, the way that HubSpot does their emails is really, really clever. They're not actually overly self-serving. It's not all about the HubSpot CRM. And it's not always touting its features and exactly how to do it. What their emails do, even though they're product focused, is they actually still touch on the pain points of their dream customers really, really well. The product emails that they're sending me at the moment, the email subject isn't like self-serving, like how to get the most out of our CRM or how to import your contacts from MailChimp to HubSpot. It's not like that at all. Instead, they continue to hit on pain points. So one really great subject line that I got was focus on the right deals to hit your sales quota. That touches on that pain point of, hey, I want to hit the sales quota. I mean, Kev, granted, we're setting our own sales quotas, but I'm sure a lot of other people do have sales quotas handed to them. And the pain point of, well, which deal should I be focusing on? You know, we've got people applying for our different products and services. Who should I really focus on? The email then goes on to start with the pain point, then shows you how you can use HubSpot's pipeline management system to identify which deals to focus on. It ends with, P.S. With a sales pipeline, you'll stop wasting time on manual data entry so you can send more emails, make more phone calls, and hit your quota. Get started. So it ties that pain point to the product really, really, really nicely. And Kev, to try and make these product emails as relevant and useful as possible, you could start to work with the product team to try and trigger these emails based on user behavior. For example, if I started playing around with the reporting in HubSpot, but I didn't set up a custom dashboard, well, then that's a great opportunity for HubSpot to educate me on that feature. And you know what, Kev? Maybe it's trying to get me to make enough custom reports, so then we have to buy that next paid tier. 
That's it, George. These platforms are really geared towards getting you from tier to tier. Um, but you know, there's a lot of value in how they set up emails and how they help you automate your email systems. So be sure to check out the platforms that you're already using or consider how you can better leverage your email marketing. That's it, Kev. And as I said, we can either set it up as a sequence um, that goes out to that user over a period of time. So maybe educate them every couple of days on a new feature, but do it via a pain point they're having or work with that product team to try and trigger it at the right time. So the, um, the advice recommendations you're giving on how to use your platform better are even more relevant and likely to be actioned. So that's just at the high level, Kev, um, the kind of product ads we'd love to see our marketers push. They do work really well. And um, everyone's probably used to talking about themselves as a business more, right? That's what we're typically taught marketing is about, is talking about you, your company. And then Kevin and I come along and go, no, no, it's all about helping, educating, nurturing. But listen, you still need to let people know how they can get the most out of their platform, out of your platform, out of your service. Um, just do it in a way that really deeply relates to them and make it as relevant as you can. So that is product emails. Um, Kev, the next type is the ones that educate, nurture, build community, entertain, and the mindset that you should have with these listeners is be as helpful as possible. Now, a couple of examples of emails that I think absolutely nail this is um, Spark Toro's bi-monthly newsletter uh, written by Amanda Natividad there. Um, it's a fantastic email. Why we buy by Caitlin Bourgeois and Demand Curve, the growth newsletter. I'm sure many of you have read and subscribed to that. But they do a terrific job at providing um, at providing their viewers with really, really helpful information. And some is written by them, some is written by collaborative partners. But uh, I want to dive in, Kev, to some things that these emails do really, really well to try and give our listeners a bit more inspiration for their own helpful educational emails. Yeah, let's jump in. And listeners, as we go through some of these, just keep in mind that the goal here is to educate, entertain, and to build trust at the end of the day. It's just another channel that you can use to really get your helpful content out there to amplify and build your relationships with your dream customers, with your dream 100. But hopefully these tips will help you really level up how you use emails as a channel to accomplish those goals. So the first one is inject a bit of personality into your emails. So with these educational emails, sometimes they can be a bit cut and dry, sometimes they can be a bit too short. And really, it's hard to stand out if you don't put in a bit of personality in there. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally, I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. 
And I think a really easy way to do that, Kevin, is to try and make it from someone. So Spark Toros is from Amanda Demand Curve. You know, they say who it's from and that can change week to week. It might be from a guy called Nick in their team and then someone else another week. I think the key thing here, listeners, is to realize that part of the role of email is to help you build that trust. And trust is what we need um, for that person to recommend your product to their team internally to say, you know what, I'm getting a lot out of this. I think we should, you know, move to a paid tier of this product or move to a free trial or attend their webinar or whatever it might be. We're here to build trust and it's easier to build trust with a person um, than just with probably a, a big boring business with, with nothing interesting going on at all. Kev, another part of injecting personality into it is it actually enables you to tell stories way easier. And the reason I mentioned stories is as humans, we retain information so much better when it's in a story format as opposed to it just being a list of facts. So if we're telling it from the point of view of ourselves, we can talk about our own experiences. The pain points that our dream customers have are the ones that we had ourselves. That's why we built this product or joined this company. So we can tell stories that really relate to them. It also gives you an opportunity to work in your hero journey. And Kev, we spoke about the hero journey, I think, right at the beginning of the B2B playbook, right in season one, where we went through the ideal story format, which I think we took from Donald Miller's story brand, where basically the hero, which is your customer, goes through five major stages in their story. There's a character they're facing a problem, they come across a solution, there's a call to action, they realize that based on that call to action, there's the perils of failure or success in victory, and then there's a very clear outcome at the end. So it gives you an opportunity to tell that story because you're doing it from a person. I've mentioned it a little bit earlier, but stories also allow you to overcome objections by showing that others have overcome that objection. It's something that B2C can do really well. And Kev, I I hesitate to bring up this example, but um, who was the guy? It was, oh, that's it. Jared from Subway. Remember Jared from Subway? I think before he he went a bit sour in the media, (laughs) but he was... A terrific example of this, right? He was a very overweight, average guy um, who then went on the Subway diet, became, you know, a fitness superstar. And that was uh, a huge transformation. And they claimed, you know, eating Subway, uh, fresh sandwiches played a huge role in that. That was a great story for Subway until it turned south. So listeners, stories, they're a great way to communicate And if you do it from a person, then that gives you an ability to tell a story that's going to resonate more. That's it, listeners. Make sure you go back to the episodes where we talk about that brand story concept if you're not familiar and check out what you're meant to build there to back up your story and start to bring some of that story into your emails. The next one that you can do to help leverage email and improve and optimize your email flows is to build trust and don't spam. Keep that idea in mind. Um, So this is one we've really talked about already um, a lot and be helpful, but just a reminder that email is just the same. Just because they've signed up to your email, just because they're potentially a customer already doesn't mean that your customers or your potential customers don't need to be further educated, further entertained, and continue to have trust built with them to your brand and to your business. It comes back to old 
sayings around how much cheaper it is to retain customers, how much cheaper it is compared to bringing in a new customer to just service your existing customers better. But this is really part of that truth is you do need to still continue to build trust and continue to not spam your subscribers even once they're in the platform, even once they've subscribed and they're looking to get value from you on an ongoing basis. So I think a big part of not spamming, Kevin, is um, actually committing to your audience and saying, hey, you know, uh, we're going to deliver an email to you, a newsletter to you twice a month, every week, once a month, whatever it might be, and sticking to it and making sure you deliver value every single time. So I would definitely focus on quality over quantity here, Kevin. And um, the best B2B emails I'm receiving at the moment are almost treating their newsletters as like a bit of a show and a serial format. So the subject line uh, actually numbers every single monthly newsletter they set they set out. So the first one might be, uh, you know, number one, second is number two, third is number three. So if you were to search your inbox for, for example, the B2B playbook newsletter, you would see uh, every monthly newsletter we sent through, it's ordered in the subject line itself. So Spark Toro, again, they're doing it. Um, the title of their email is audience research newsletter dash and then whatever number it is um, that they've sent out. I think, Kev, there's a lot of value to that uh, because it's almost like treating it like a show. And when something is a show, uh, I think we inherently we associate uh, better quality with it. You know, if you've bothered numbering it, then you've provided an order to it. It's not something that you just want to be so ephemeral. One that wants to be something that you can go back to and revisit again, uh, easily find, easily number, easily order. I think that consistency point is really important, George. It really does build a lot of trust with um, a particular brand or business, but at the same time, it also helps users or potential customers get into a habit of behaving in a way that you want them to. So one example for from my life is the Tim Ferriss Five Bullet Friday newsletter. Now I subscribe to that. He only ever puts five things in that email. And even if not completely relevant to me, it's easy for me to delete. I know exactly which point to look at where, and it's always the same format. So I skip over the irrelevant bits to me pretty quickly, and it's a very good experience for myself. So even though your content isn't 100% relevant, to every single reader out there. I don't unsubscribe from that experience because I know it doesn't spam me. It doesn't waste a lot of my time. It's consistent. So I know where to look for the stuff that I know will be relevant to me. And then I can quickly move on and get the value I need from that newsletter and move on. So that's something that you can try and build into your own newsletters, into your own email flows. Is it a consistent experience? Is it something that appeals to a wider audience but makes sure that it's not spammy in any way so that people aren't subscribe, unsubscribing unnecessarily. They can still get some value. It just so happens that maybe a certain publication or a certain issue wasn't that relevant to them, but they won't unsubscribe just because that particular issue was irrelevant as long as you're not too spammy and you provide a good balance of value in the rest of your issues. 
And it's probably also that balance of uh, quality over quantity, Kevin. Um, I think when it comes to the social side of things, I always advocate for quantity, at least initially, because people need to get those repetitions in to start getting feedback. But email tends to be, I mean, particularly email sent from a company tends to be much more one way. There's much less engagement in terms of people replying because it's not social by nature. So uh, you want to try and deliver as much value in that email as you can. Um, if you are doing a really high frequency of emails, if you're sending, you know, like three, four, five a week, and they're not overly helpful, not overly relevant to your audience, um, they'll very quickly become annoyed and very likely unsubscribe. Um, the difference is on social is, of course, if someone follows you or you pull them into your network, every time you post, uh, a portion of your audience is going to see that message, whether they want to or not. But in email, they have to literally uh, click on the subject and bother reading it themselves. And I don't know about your inbox, Kev, but mine is constantly clogged up. And the last thing I want is another untimely email sent to me with a bunch of useless information. Yeah, the email is pretty clean, George. Um, we implement some rules there to help auto filter a lot of the emails as well. Um, but if your subscribers are getting value that they're looking for from your newsletters, hopefully your email doesn't fall into one of those automations or gets deleted or um, becomes a point of frustration for people. Um, as George mentioned there as an example, you don't want that to happen. And it really comes back to having that consistency um, in the experience and being helpful in the content that you put out there. So it's really important um, for really maximizing your emails. Kev, some of my favorite emails are also taking that opportunity to entertain, not just educate. And that doesn't have to be a big production, a big show. It can be as easy as, you know, sharing a little joke right at the end or a funny gif or something that is super relevant to your dream customers that made you chuckle and you think might make them chuckle. It's again, just making you yourself, your business more relatable and uh, perhaps can uh, enable you to resonate just that little bit more with that dream customer, enabling them to feel that sense of trust with you. I'll also add, Kev, that um, emails are also awesome opportunities to collaborate with like-minded businesses. So visit that Dream 100 list of yours, that list of companies, places uh, that your dream customers are already congregating around online, um, could be complementary businesses, and look to see uh, you know, are there complementary businesses that could deliver value to your audience? So Kev, I mean, you and I don't specialize in B2B websites at all. That's just not something that we do. Perhaps, you know, we could find a B2B website agency out there who um, are very, very good at that, have great helpful educational content around that and give them a little spot on our email. Um, it gives more value to our audience who could very likely use that information and, you know, we're not the experts to give it to them. And then who knows, Kev, maybe in return, they'll enable us to do that uh, to their subscribers. So it allows for some great cross-pollination of ideas and audiences, and it's just creating win-win-win scenarios for yourself, the other business, and your audience. On that note, George, and off on a slight tangent, if listeners, you are looking to sponsor uh, newsletters or if you're looking to get sponsors on your newsletters, make sure that the content of those ads 
going either way is still helpful to the relevant audience that that email is going out to. There's nothing worse than getting an advertisement within a newsletter that has absolutely nothing to do with you or the topic of that newsletter. Um, so if you're running that newsletter, obviously you don't wanna give that experience to your subscribers. Um, but at the same time, if you're putting your brand out there in an advertisement within a newsletter and you're paying premium to get yourself into a newsletter of a particular target audience, you don't want that to be misaligned with the audience that you're actually getting your message to. Um, so in either case, when you're looking at ads within newsletters as well and email flows and EDMs, make sure that there's a right fit um, coming back to being helpful and being relevant to that particular audience as well. But George, I think there's another thing we can remind our listeners with emails. Uh, don't forget to make an ask every now and then. I think this is probably one that most people won't struggle with and often it's the opposite problem that's true. Uh, but for those of us that are pretty used to being helpful uh, a lot of the time and really getting into that mode of putting out content that's always helpful and really addressing pain points, we can sometimes forget to make that ask once in a while, make that consistent ask to include your CTA, include a webinar promotion or a deadline of some sort to get the action going off the back of all your great nurture activity. Make sure to balance that in now and then. That's it, Kev. And look, if you are consistently delivering value, people aren't going to, it's not going to matter to people that you're asking because your ask is only really there to help them more. Your product or service should help your dream audience get what they want. So why would it be a big deal if you're asking them, particularly if you're leading with value and you've built that trust already? So listeners, don't forget to make that ask. It doesn't have to be every time, um, but you know, when you need it. Dig your well before you're thirsty, Kev. That's a saying um, that we love here. Build those relationships, build that trust. And um, when you're thirsty, you'll have an endless pool of water to drink from. All right, Kev, in terms of style, so the style of these EDMs, uh, there's really two main contrasting styles. There's the plain text email, which looks like if you were to just send someone an email from Gmail, for example, which you know has nothing fancy in it, it's pretty plain text, as opposed to the more branded ones that you'd see. Um, and you see that a lot from vendors and really companies that you buy from. Kev, I think it's it's really up to you as a company to determine what works. And we're going to go into that a little bit in A-B testing to seeing what works for you and your audience. But generally, I feel, Kevin, that for product and customer success email sequences, um, I prefer something that's a little bit more branded. It looks a bit more official. Um, and they don't need quite as much personality in them. For those that nurture, entertain, and educate, I really like to make those feel personal, um, particularly because, you know, we're the subject matter experts. We're out there. We're the ones who are teaching B2B marketers how to be better B2B marketers. So it's fine for it to be a little bit more personal. And I think just the plain text format is the right way, the right style to communicate that because um, it, it feels more authentic. Final point, Kevin, on just tips for these emails, uh, particularly when educating and entertaining, is to really just try and send your emails to engaged audiences, and that's going to help you maximize delivery. So every time someone reports you with spam, and listeners, it does happen, 
that hurts your domain. And so then there's more chance that you'll end up in the promotions or the spam tab. So some CRM, some email marketing platforms, they give you options to only send emails to engaged contacts. And we normally recommend that's something that you have switched on. Uh, because I mean, that's just going to maximize the delivery and maximize the quality of um, the engagements that you have when you send that email to people. All right, Kev, now we're going to talk about how do we apply Be Better to EDMs. Uh, you know, we're going to look at how we can optimize and make these better. And Kev, the first recommendation is to really review each stage of the funnel and the corresponding EDMs that you've created. Typically, people talk about cold, warm, and hot audiences. Kevin, we talk a lot more about the five stages of awareness and how far through your dream customer is through there. We normally say, look, it's really hard to know where someone is in that stage of awareness, um, but there definitely will be emails that you'll send out to cold audiences, which are people who have never heard of your brand before to warm audiences, which are people who have engaged with your brand, and then hot audiences. Those who are showing really high engagement, are a great firmographic fit, and are much closer to purchase. So typically we recommend you go through each of these and just try and benchmark the open rates of those emails, the click-through rates from links that you put in them, uh, the number of new monthly subscribers you're getting. Um, they're ones that we love to look at for cold audiences, meaning those who haven't come across your brand before or might this might be the first touch point. Again, in these, don't forget to deliver value in the email itself. Uh, then for warm audiences, so people who've interacted with your brand, we normally recommend looking at things like open rates, uh, sign up and download rates. So if, for example, you are linking to a very relevant webinar or a summit or a masterclass, you might want to look at um, how many signups and downloads you get from that email. And then emails to hot audiences, those who are normally product uh, or most aware, they're the ones that normally have that right hook. They contain a really strong call to action in them. And again, you probably want to look at um, book a demo rate, purchase rate, whatever it might be. And Kev, once we have that benchmark for each of those stages of the funnel, we can start to A-B test to try and improve each of these metrics. Kev, just very quickly, what is A-B testing? Well, listeners, you might remember from a couple of episodes back, we talked about A-B testing generally, and there we define A-B testing as testing two or more versions of the same element, in this case, in your email, to determine which performs better to drive a particular outcome based on statistical principles. Very nice, Kevin. So if we're applying A-B testing to our emails, there's a number of things that we can test. You know, one might be subject line. And if we're A-B testing subject line, we probably want to look at the open rate because the more optimized a subject line is to your dream audience, the more likely you are to have a higher open rate, meaning your dream customer, when that email lands in their inbox, they actually open it and read it. So A-B testing subject line would be just trying multiple different versions um, of that subject line to see which one gets more opens. You can also test things like email description, uh, you know, the content of the email, the style of the email, you know, whether it's graphical or text-based, the length of the email. So for some audiences, you know, they might like a longer email, others might like shorter. 
So these are all really great things for you to start A-B testing with your emails. And something that we normally recommend to those who do have a few more clients or work across a range of clients is try and tailor your emails for different segments. So if you service multiple industries or multiple segments within the same industry, try and tailor your emails to each of those uh, to make it as relevant as possible. Because you can A, B, test your subject line until you're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, if it's not truly there to serve that dream customer and their exact needs, then it doesn't matter what you put in that subject line. It doesn't matter how many emojis you include, they're not gonna bother opening it. Or if they will, maybe they'll unsubscribe because it's just not useful to them. So tailor it as much as you can. Comes back to being helpful, doesn't it, George? Comes back to being helpful. Another fun one that you can do, listeners, uh, if you have the space or it fits with your brand, is to look at including a survey at the end of each newsletter to ask them what they thought of the newsletter. Do they love it? Do they think it was great? Uh, do they think it was a bit average or it was really bad? Um, Demand Curve is a great example of one that does this and effectively enables you not to just rely on your click-through rate to figure out what's uh, doing well in your emails. You also have another direct measure of someone filling out that survey. And potentially you could get some qualitative data from that as well. And finally, just a note from something that carries over from that A-B testing and CRO episode, most of these marketing automation platforms Uh, email platforms, they will have some sort of tool for you to do some sort of email A-B testing. Um, So make sure to check out what's already in your arsenal so you're not double paying for another separate tool. I do love that survey that Demand Curve run, Kev, at the end of each newsletter because I think what it enables them to do is to get feedback from their newsletter without having to rely on click-through rate. So they're not looking for indicators as to how many links were clicked to determine the success of an email. And that means that just like we encourage people to do with their social posts and their ad, it means that they can give value right in the place where your dream customer already is. So that person is in their email inbox, you know, feel free to keep them there. Try and give as much value as you can. You know, maybe include that link um, if they want that extra detail but don't just use it as a way to syndicate all the content that's been going on. Make sure you provide value there. Awesome, George. And listeners, don't get too bogged down in the details. As we mentioned in the A-B test episodes and the episodes preceding this, you know, focus on the 80-20 principle. Make sure you're getting 80% of your improvements from 20% of insights and tests that you are running. George, key takeaways for this episode the two main types of emails you should be sending out are product-focused and educational or entertainment-focused. Just because a sequence is automated, it doesn't mean that it should lack personality or stop addressing your dream customer's pain points. And finally, A-B test your emails, different elements of your emails to find out what works best for your dream customers over time, even going down to the different audience segments. Beautiful. Thank you, Kev. Well, listeners, as per usual, you can find links to everything we discussed in the show notes. And next week, Kev and I are going to show you how you can test and optimize your paid channels. And that is really where Kev and my marketing roots are. So we're very excited to share that with you guys. And listeners, we're so grateful that each week more and more marketers are tuning in every Monday to the B2B Playbook podcast. And if we can ask one thing, it would be to please pass the show on to someone who you think would benefit from it. We would really, really appreciate it. Or, you know, leave us a review. 
Good, bad, ugly, it helps us. We love the feedback. Thank you so much, Kev. Thank you, listeners. Take care and see you next week. Thank you, George. Thank you, listeners. See you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.